WFAE's David Borex has the story. Tariq Bakari and Larkin Eggleston call their podcast R&D in the QC. Eggleston says they hope to reach people who may not pay attention to the council. Eggleston is 35 and a Democrat. Bakari is a 37-year-old Republican. Despite their political differences, they bonded on the campaign trail in part over their beards, says Bakari. The beards themselves are what truly united us in the beginning. They hope to be an example of how to debate productively across the political divide. Episode 55, we talk about our trip to Raleigh, becoming visiting professors at Davidson College, this week's council meeting, and a host of other items. Just a good old boy, never meaning no harm, beats all you never saw, been in trouble with the law since the day they was born. Straightening the curves, yeah. flattening the hills. Someday the mountain might get them, but the law never will. Making their way the only way they know how. That's just a little bit more than the law will allow. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's that time again. R&D in the QC, episode 55. I'm Tark Bakari, and with me, as always... I'm not. My trusty sidekick, Larkin... What was it? Lar- what were you just announced as uh, downstairs? Larkson, Eggleston, Larson, and Tark Bacardi. Tark Bacardi and Larson Egglesteins. <laughs> well, <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't that bad. Welcome to the show, Larkin. Uh, so we, we just... It is, what day is it? It's Thursday. It's Thursday. And we have just returned from the State of the Union. No. The State of the County. It's called the... Uh, State of the County Address. And uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but we were given new names. Sotica. Uh, Tark, Sotica. Tark Bacardi, like the rum. It's like Sotu, but Sotica. And... Uh, Larson and Keg- Lark- Keg- it was Kegleston. Larson Kegleston. Larson. Bacardi and Kegleston. Back at you. I think it was Larkson. Larkson and Bacardi. So I had to miss uh, city council on Monday. Yeah, it was um, really, it, it really made it so much more enjoyable. Well, yeah, for both of us <laughs> um, after watching it all on live stream. Uh, but I had a, a previous engagement, the region's largest tech conference, CED TechCon. I was the title sponsor of, so I had to go up there and speak and do That's stuff. That's why you Raleigh. got to speak with a slide with your face on it behind you and a lot of people watching. Yeah, you have to pay you for paid that. To, you yeah, paid yeah. to Well, you, you pay for the conference uh, experience. For half a second, I thought it meant you were legitimately a subject matter expert. Well, and, and that, and that. So since you weren't here Monday, we did not do a podcast Monday. So we're mm. 10 days removed from our last podcast. Catch up. We're and really last slacking. week, we had a couple of big things, one of which we uh, we said we might do a live podcast from Raleigh last Wednesday when we were there for meetings with legislators as well as the North Carolina and it League was of Municipalities. Too wild. It was too uh, wild. Town and state dinner. We got there at like 9.52 and our first meeting was at 10 a.m., and then we didn't stop. Uh, we had meetings back to back to back until the dinner started at five, and then we hit the road to come back. So we um, didn't have the downtime to do it, but we did well, we get also, a lot done. We also met with a lot of folks. Like part of our plan on this trip was to meet with folks outside of our delegation, particularly um, you know those with a lot of influence in different committees or different structures that were in some of our more rural parts of the state. And not knowing them personally, it's kind of also a little awkward to say. Oh, do you mind if we do a quick, uh, ep- not that that's ever stopped us in the past, but I think we had a lot of 
real meaty conversations too. Yeah. And we had just, we were probably only about three weeks removed from having been able to spend a lot of time with our Mecklenburg delegation when we were in Raleigh for our council retreat. Uh, and those are folks that we get to engage with. We see in the community, um, we get a lot of face time with, and, and they pretty well know our priorities and, and we've got pretty good relationships with them to start. So we did want to not only strengthen some of the relationships with a John Torbett from Gaston or Jason Sane from Lincoln County, uh, the surrounding counties who uh, are very, um, very intertwined with, with things that benefit Charlotte benefit them and, and things that benefit them benefit Charlotte. Uh, so we want to continue to main, to strengthen and maintain those relationships. But we went and met with uh, a Senator Rabin. Uh, we met with um, Senator Brown from uh, one of the smaller counties in the state. And these are folks who are longer tenured in the General Assembly, uh, are in leadership roles on important committees, and at times have not always had uh, as good a relationships or as good a feelings about the urban areas in the state as it relates to that they probably at times have viewed Charlotte, Mecklenburg, or a, a Raleigh, Wake County, and some of the bigger areas in the state as being only concerned with themselves and not concerned with what's going on in small town North Carolina. So, well, that was the theme of the day. The uh, you know we always have talked about the rural urban divide and how real it is, but. It was really evident in a new, more meaningful way with those meetings. You know, when we were with Senator Brown, for example, I think it was he, you know, he explained to us, you know, if if they raise a half cent sales tax, it generates 77 grand. And I said, what, per person, per per month, per day? He's like, no, total per year. So, I mean, you know, Harry Brown represents Jones County, which is a total population. The whole county is a total population of 10,153 people making it the fifth least populous county in North Carolina. So he, you know, he reasonably doesn't assume that we understand what's going on in the Jones County. And it's, it's our responsibility to seek that understanding. And that's why, you know, I mean, it's, it's real clear. We sit here in Mecklenburg County in Charlotte saying, Oh, we've got somewhere between 60 and 120 people coming here a day. And, with that comes the challenges of keeping up with the infrastructure, keeping up with the housing, keeping up with all these things. And we're like, man, this problem is crazy. We need help. But then on the flip side, you've got someone like Senator Brown who's looking at, you know, who's look looks over at a big municipality and saying, oh, poor dears. They have 6,220 people flocking to them a year. We can't even figure out how to like, you know get a capital investment in our one school. So I, I think there's just, there's, there's reality on both sides of this. It's only getting worse. So I think that's why it's going to end up paying dividends that we worked so hard over the last year on this legislative agenda that has really things in it that doesn't just benefit Charlotte. It also benefits a lot of our rural partners, whether that's 5G infrastructure, whether that's I-74 connecting the Wilmington port to Charlotte and then all the areas in between. Um, uh, uh, what is it? Safety and rescue stuff. Um, you know, we, so we've got a lot of things purposely put in there to not just be about Charlotte. And Senator Brown is currently the majority leader of the North Carolina Senate. And then Senator Rabin, who represents uh, also represents parts of Eastern North Carolina, as does Senator Brown, is the chairman of the rules um, rules committee. So these are folks that maybe wouldn't be um, in terms of geographically or uh, comparability to Charlotte wouldn't necessarily be top of mind for folks to build those relationships with, but they are in leadership roles in the committees where things either move or don't move. Um, they can, they can be our best friend or our worst enemy 
as far as procedurally uh, they can make something uh, successful or or can make sure it doesn't ever see the light of day as, as bills go. Senator Brown in the past has been a proponent of some of the tax redistribution stuff that has caused a lot of concern in the large counties like Mecklenburg. So uh, we need to make sure that we are building a relationship with him and building trust with him in a way that he knows, uh, as you pointed out, that in our legislative agenda, we are trying to find things that can both benefit a Mecklenburg County and a Jones County. And so, um, we were with one of our lobbyists who has a lot of these established relationships mm, and is trying to help us build that trust. And he was very pleased with how those meetings went. I felt like they went very well. This is uh, f- first uh, crack at sitting down with those two particular senators, but it, you know, it takes time. They're not going to change their mind about um, Charlotte or about Mecklenburg or, um, or trust us after one meeting. We, we've got to be down there on a regular basis. We've got to put in that FaceTime. Um, but I think, that long game view will pay dividends uh, as we try to work to do what's best for the entire state of North Carolina, not just Charlotte Mecklenburg, or, or in his case, not just the Jones County. But so that uh, was Wednesday. On Thursday, um, I uh, I got to make it over to the summit on the state of housing at UNC Charlotte Center City Building. Very interesting data. Um, you know, I, I guess the way I'd classify that is. It's everything we've been already kind of assuming and talking about, understanding that, you know, that the housing market is constricting our our um, our our inventory of available housing is at fairly low levels, which is challenging for large cities. But I think the value for me was seeing the data points support the arguments that many of us have made over the last year. So that was really helpful. Big, big kudos to that group for putting it on. And then that night I got to go over um, Senator uh, Phil Berger, president pro tem of the Senate invited me to come and join him and Senator Dan Bishop at a um, education summit where we really got to talk about everything from CMS. Uh, Dr. Wilcox was there to CPCC um, the president, uh, Candy Dietermeyer, was there, chancellor from UNC Charlotte, and then many other s- constituents and stakeholders. I did a lot of listening, and then I chimed in a bit about alternative education and workforce development that we're doing with the FinTech Hub with our new WIN Workforce Investment Network program, which I might add has been named a finalist in a national workforce development, the Marquee Conference, where I'll be presenting in April, and was on the front page of the American Banker yesterday. One of my favorite publications. I, I you're a regular reader of that. I, I bet your dad cuts out articles I have, from there. I have never heard of it, but I'm going to assume that in your industry it's significant. And I'll tell you, congratulations. Thanks to your dad for cutting me out of uh, fintech articles. By the way, you're very welcome. He's a big article cutouter, isn't he? He is. He's a, a voracious reader. Voracious. Um. So that was that day. What did you do that day? Uh. Stuff. Nothing that's Friday. podcast relevant. So Friday, Friday speak, we, we, we got back into the education space on Friday, uh, and we headed up I-77 Friday morning and went and spoke to a class, a political science class at Davidson College. Professor. Uh, home Professor. of uh, our colleague Braxton Winston, who says it's always a good day to be a wildcat. Mm-hmm. What's his other one? A wildcat. A wildcat gentleman never needs an introduction or something like that. And whenever I learn, I go into the building titled Wachovia Hall which is also a nice throwback. But um and so we were invited by our good guest, friend, guest professor friend the there, pod. Michael Bitzer, who's been on the show on our show before, uh, is a I, I guess standing professor at Catawba College but has been invited as a visiting guest professor or something to that effect at Davidson. He's teaching this poli sci class and you and I got to go and do uh, a talk and then answer a bunch a lecture, of questions. If you will. 
And um, does that make us professors? I believe we're, uh, yeah, something like do we that. Get, do we have tenure yet? Uh, we have work? to go back again one more time, oh, I think, to get tenure. Time is tenure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to start listing. I'm going to put that on my LinkedIn page. Professor at Davidson College. Ad, I think visiting, you visiting professor. Adjunct professor. Visiting professor. I don't know what adjunct College. professor means, but I feel it sounds. I think better it's a step visiting. above visiting. Okay. Um, okay. But that went really well, and I, I was impressed. We're like the Pat McCrory's of the local education scene. You heard he's out. He's been lecturing at. UNC, I'm not the Pat McCrory Chapel of any Hill. scene. You're the Pat. You're the Pat McCrory of Charlotte. And I think I, a lot of people are saying that about you. I don't you. think they are. Um, <laughs> I think Pat would probably just screw that as much yeah, as I do. He probably would. He probably would. Uh, I was I was impressed. I mean, I don't. I think it was a range of ages in the in the class, but there, the level of understanding and the level of engagement. Someone defined Dylan rules state. better than anyone in this building could probably do it. <laughs> yeah. um, so it reinforces uh, how how bright the folks are, the kids are at Davidson. Young, yeah. they're not kids. They're, the young adults at Davidson are, and it, it also, you know, I'm sure part of it is you have the opportunity to learn about politics under Michael Bitzer. Yeah. That's a, a pretty good professor to have in that kind of a space. And the frat parties afterwards that we went to were incredible. That's when I headed back to Charlotte, Tar no. State, and uh, Larkin was there. Then went streaking Amazing. down Main Street of Davidson. Good. Where's everybody at? We're going to KFC. <laughs> um, so that was fun. That was that. Thanks, thanks to uh, Professor Bitzer for yes. that one. Monday's meeting. Um, yeah, tell me about it. Well, Monday it. morning, I, I started off. We had the the kickoff brunch for the CIAA tournament, which is in town this weekend. Um, Johnson C. Smith won their first game on Monday, so they were off to a good start. And um, I got to I got to get up to speed on how the games have been going since then. I'm a little behind, but it was. Uh, How's so your bracket? My my bracket was busted pretty early <laughs> this week, but it's uh you know I think there's a lot of confusion. People keep saying this is the last year that they're here. It's not. We've got them back next year before they go to Baltimore for three years, and then beyond that is unknown. Um, there was an article in the paper just I think yesterday uh, where our colleague James Smudgy Mitchell was talking about that you know it's going to be a priority for him and it should be a priority for the rest of us in the city uh, to continue to pursue the tournament beyond the three-year stint that it's going to be in Baltimore. I'm sure it will go well in Baltimore, but I, I still think that we are the, the best home for it. Uh, their offices will continue to be here. It just makes a lot of sense. It's very centrally located. A lot of these schools are in North Carolina. This is business that we want to get back in our city, but we will still have it next year. So this isn't the last year, but would encourage people to get out this weekend, check out some of the games, check out some of the parties. Um, probably a little calmer in uh, in terms of the crowd and, and excitement from years past just because – I'm guessing that a lot of people uh, expended their their disposable income and their energy during NBA All-Star Weekend that might have otherwise historically done that for CIAA. Uh, so it doesn't seem quite as busy as normal. I think next year will be big because it'll be the last one um, for a while in Charlotte. And I think people will come and um, so walk and me kick through, that off. Walk me through Monday night. I, I watched it on live stream, but what did I miss? Because I, I was a bit confused from afar. Well, there was a lot going on. Um <laughs> The biggest headline from Monday night was we had a lot of folks who came from different parts of the community to um, to talk about what they want to see as far as the city's response to all the immigration issues. And so the mayor um, decided to allow for more speakers in the public forum. We, we changed the three minutes to two minutes, but it allowed for up to 15 speakers. And I'd say probably 10 or 11 of those 15 speakers were there about immigration issues and then the chamber was probably 70 80 percent full and probably 70 or 80 percent of that was people that were there in support with signs with shirts things that expressed their 
support for the immigrant community and their what they expect to see from the city. Um, the mayor preemptively made a statement, as did Federico Rios, who leads our immigration integration um, office here at the city also will be leading the committee. That, Is that the name of it? The immigration integration office? Well, that was, a, we had an immigrant immigrant integration task force. I forget his exact, uh, the exact wording of his title, but uh, his position was created as a, from a recommendation by the immigration, the immigrant integration task force uh, a couple years ago. He's done a great job. He's built a lot of trust in the community. That was one thing that was actually um, echoed in most people's comments was Though there were frustrations with us as elected officials or with the city as, as a whole, almost to a person, everybody expressed that Federico has built trust in the community. They do believe in the work he's doing. And I think that lends a lot of credibility to the committee that the mayor created and asked me to chair that's going to work on these issues for the next month, month and a half. And so, and, and bring forward recommendations at, thereafter to the council. But, um, it was there were common threads. People were disappointed that we, as a council, had not taken the step that the county commission did, which was to um, pass a resolution declaring our support for the sheriff and our um, our support of the immigrant community and our lack of support of um, organizations like ICE. And the mayor was very clear and said, "You know, I I'm more action oriented. I want to do things that will." that can make a difference. And I don't see, you know, she pointed out, I'm not someone who you see a lot of press releases from. I'm not someone who does a lot of proclamations. I'm someone who wants to try to get at a solution, not just make a statement. About yes. It. And I, that's, that's what, when I was watching this on live, I mean, I was just so frustrated and you know what? I'll, I'm just going to, I always speak you know, from the heart and, and as true as I possibly can, I'm sure I'm not going to win any friends with this statement, but you know, the level of kind of hypocrisy in the the statements and the yelling that was happening. So, and and the mayor's going to take the brunt for this, and and unfortunately so because she's doing the exact right thing. She's about executing. She put this committee together, and while I still have misgivings in different angles, guess what? That's probably the best thing that could have been done because you're going to go and search for things that you can actually do within your wheelhouse to make a difference here. And the funny thing is they, they praised that, but at the same time they said, but you're cowards for not making a statement like the county and these other folks. That's just the point. One, these statements don't do anything. And two, if anyone's just going to be truly honest with themselves, the last time everyone tried to make a statement and get behind it was the last time that we removed 287G. And look where we are now. We're worse off. The people we're trying to protect are worse off because of that. So, I, you know, I, I just have little sympathy for folks who want soapboxing and they want to feel good in that moment and they don't even care who they're going to hurt as collateral damage thereafter. I'm not saying for all those who are going to text me and, and, and message me that, oh, you once again, a Republican doesn't care about immigration. I understand immigration a lot better than most of you guys. Trust me, okay? The name Tariq Bakari isn't a traditional South Park name for like six or seven generations. But I also realize that a lot of the friends I have, family members, actually look at this stuff and they say, well, you know what? Um, we waited in line. We did what we needed to do. And now we're in this predicament where we're pragmatic and we understand something has to be fixed on the macro level. It's not up to us. And no matter how many 287Gs we revoke or how many proclamations we make, it's not going to fix that problem. In fact, 
it has a track record of doing of doing more harm. So that that's that's why I'm just literally, I, I it just it really bothers me that folks are 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 pushing so hard and being so angry towards the people trying to help, especially the ones who are trying to do the right thing for the end game. So a lot of the people that I talked to, and I, w- I would say there was a lot of passion in the comments that were made, but I think that by and large, most of the people who spoke, most of the people who were there were there out of a genuine caring for the immigrant community were there because they genuinely wanted to compel us to do things that they think mattered. Um, there was only two or three people I think who were really just there to yell and, and draw attention to themselves. I think, uh, that was, that was, those were the outliers. I think everybody else. And, and to be honest, several of the people who spoke are people that we all know who have been far before the last month or two have been engaged in, um, and been engaged in the work of helping Charlotte be a more welcoming city, helping Charlotte be a more global city of integrating the immigrants in our community. Um, people have, that have done that work for a long time and certainly get the benefit of the doubt from me and others that they are genuine in the things that they're coming and, and saying to us. Um, so it was, uh, I, th- I think it was a productive dialogue. I'm sh- I know it was, I don't know about uh, that. Again, <laughs> I think if, it was if you, unproductive. If you throw out, if you throw out the outliers and the people who were just there to make a scene for the sake of making a scene, I think those distract from the genuine core of, of what was said. But the night. genuine core of what was said was make a proclamation. Well, and so which I talked does to, nothing. I talked Add to it to your federal legislative this. agenda, which literally does nothing. Uh, and, and it probably hurts the other things in our wheelhouse to ask. Maybe. For. But I, I solve think, immigration reform as we sit in these rooms. We've done it last I year. I don't think what, anybody do asked us say? to solve immigration reform. And I've, but talked, that's what I've talked to a lot of people on the before and after. Agenda means. Well, no, it, it says that it is a priority for us that the people in positions to work on immigration reform make that a priority. And I don't think that's an unreasonable ask from the community to say that we need to say that that's a priority. But we do that it's anyway not asking us to by who it. we vote for to go to those offices. Do we not? We do, but then, we obviously I mean, what, have... We don't, we don't get elected no. to then go lobby for those that are elected uh, to do that stuff in that wheelhouse. We kind of do. Not unless it's directly related to the reason we exist in a Dillon rule state. We can swing back to Davidson and get that definition yeah, if we need but to. everything in our legislative... Not everything in our legislative agenda is things that we have ultimate control over, ultimately authority over but it, it is part of the role that we play to advocate for things that are important to us to the people in the roles to make those decisions and it's and we have a platform that it, that other people don't and that's why there's a higher burden and higher expectation on us and again I'm, I, I've talked to a lot of people about the proclamation thing and I'm I have made the same argument that the mayor has made that words are words are easy action is harder but action is impactful and and many have said it's not an either or they've said it. We appreciate that the mayor's created this committee. We have trust in it because we have trust in Federico. And I don't, I don't blame people for not giving us the benefit of the doubt. Charlotte has had a track record of saying we're going to create a task force and there's going to be a report and then nothing ever happens on, on, a so litany, on a litany of issues. So I, I don't expect anyone to give us the benefit of the doubt. You leading it is the only thing that gives me faith that well, maybe some you've, small sliver you've of not had a chance to interact with Federico a lot, but he is the right person to be at the helm of it from a staff perspective. And he does have the trust of the community that will make people engage with our process as a committee that if he weren't involved, we wouldn't get the buy-in from the immigrant community that we will. So and he, here's the, here's the one other thing is, so you're chairing this. I, here's the advice I'd relay to you, which is the answers. While many will want it to be big 
points on a soapbox that get raised afterwards in a conclusion. I think the true answer, if we stay true to our wheelhouse and what our mission is, is going to be a set of a dozen or so tactical things that we will try to do locally to help minimize the the damage that's occurring while this goes unresolved at a federal level. And I think one of the things I'm hoping comes out of that is the clear delineation in how we talk about this and how we approach it in policy between the immigrant community and the illegal immigrant community. I think that is, everyone tries to paint it with this brush of, oh, you don't like immigrants or how would you survive here without immigrants? I agree. Immigrants are the foundation of this community and there are a lot more of them here legally than illegally. Yet we're trying to create more of a stir by bucketing all this stuff together. I'm not saying what's not happening in the illegal immigrant community is also a tragedy. I I do believe it is, but I'm hoping more tactical things of, okay, if we make that delineation, how do we get the message out to folks for the things they need to know so kids aren't going to school in tears because they've been hiding out all night. How do we figure that out? And this is an interim Band-Aid solution until the actual solution gets made. So I will offer a, a bit of unsolicited advice. And you've mentioned on several occasions last year how you changed your language around uh, what happened in September of 2016 to sure. after you I'm got a better understanding from Braxton about the the power of the words riot versus protest. Of course. Um, I will say to you that there will be a lot of people who their, their ears perk up when they hear you say illegal as opposed to undocumented. And oh, I, come on, look, it's, you might think it's splitting hairs, but <laughs> I mean, but so many, many of these people I were get brought here I, by no choice of their own, especially when we're talking about young people who, I mean, so, and there's many yeah, of these it, households it, that are blended. That's an unfair they're immigrant, par- they're immigrant par- households and there are people who are documented and undocumented in the, under the same there's room. There's a big so, difference between, let's parallel those two. I said it was two. unsolicited that's fine. No, no, and, okay, I'm, I'm, and I'm I, not trying to I'm be, a, I'm open to, uh, to hearing you know I'm it, not, but let me give you a debate point back. And you know I'm not the, I'm not the like, I'm not the always like know, you have to be a PC person. But the, here's the difference in my mind between those. When Braxton explained the difference in, in how he views protest versus riot, which we uh, said riot and didn't think twice and weren't mean hearted about you said it. it. Right. right. Well, we, we a, a lot of us okay. in my district said. Yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> all right. Good fair. clarification. Um, it was more about he was saying we all went there to protest. And then some instances occurred, right, that made that stuff happen. This is that that is all right. I get that. Right. The the overriding theme of most of the people that were out there that entire time was in protest. So I gave him that respect and I understood that bristled folks up. If, if there's a difference between steering away from words that incite people um, and totally avoiding the actual situation, the law of the land is you have to be a legal follower of the process in immigration here. And when you don't do that, whether you were trying to do it or not, it is that makes you illegal. Everyone who's here undocumented is illegal. Not everyone who was protesting was rioting. It's two completely different scenarios. I, I, again, you'll say it's splitting hairs and and we can move past this, but a person being a person, a person being illegal is a more Oh, is you're it, going down a slippery slope no, right now, man. So, uh, you can say a person being here illegally has a different connotation than a person being illegal. Uh, it, uh, just a person being illegal is just a, to me, a crass way. Okay. But again, All right. That's but, fair. But All I, right. I see. I guess I see that. If you point. want to find the middle I'm ground, talking about people the that person are here is illegally. Yeah. They, no, no person is illegal. 
We can. It's it's people do illegal things. We can leave that as a, as a right. happy medium. All right, fair point. Move I, I'll it. take that. I'll but take people, that. so a lot of the people I talked to and that were frustrated with the mayor for not signing the mayor's letter that's gone around from you know six or eight mayors in North Carolina and us not making a procla- proclamation similar to the counties said, look, it's not either or. We don't. We're not asking you to do that instead of action. We do want action. We do hope something beneficial comes from the action, but while and many of them have acknowledged exactly what you and I have said and what the mayor said, which is that proclamation won't actually accomplish any tangible outcome. They'll acknowledge that too. And Proclamations say, are for birthdays and well, celebrating like famous people who did something. But nice. they'll say it's, but they say it still matters. And I don't no, I don't disagree. Just, I completely totally disagree with that, that there is something to be said about having a standing, staking out your stance and saying what you believe in and telling our community that we have their back. Even if that in and of itself doesn't change anything, there's still a comfort in someone saying they have your back. And so I, I, I can appreciate that. The fact of the matter is uh, I do have, and I, and again, I don't expect the community to, but I will ask them to judge us by the outcomes, not by his, the history of, of other councils and other task force and other whatever. I think Federico is the right person on the staff side to be leading this. I wouldn't have allowed my name to be attached to this committee as the chair if I didn't think there would be tangible outcomes uh, and I don't think this will be a report that sits on a shelf and collects dust. I think it will be action items that are in our purview that we will bring forward to the council that can make a difference in our immigrant community in Charlotte in ways that are logical for this in, in, in lanes that are logical for the city to be in. And so, um, again, I'll ask that judgment be deferred until the work is completed. Absolutely. We have also Federico and I have both made it a priority to do this quickly because you know, if it takes six months, then what's the point? We need to be able to act quickly. And so we're going to be holding uh, community forums and we're, we made a very intentional uh, decision to host at least one in every city council district. Uh, We made a very intentional decision to host them in places where people will feel safe and welcome and to go to them, not ask them to come to us at the government center or wherever that might be a place that they're not as comfortable. So we're going to places that already serve the immigrant community or to community centers or to churches and and places like that. So that schedule will be put out. We want anybody immigrant or just um, advocate for the immigrant community, whatever it is, we want all voices at the table at those. And and I promise you it is not just a, it's not just window dressing. It's not just, okay, we heard you. We did our job. We are looking for things that can be done by the city. And, And my goal is to have that come out in early April, preferably at our our first week of April strategy session, that the results and the recommendations be presented to council then for us to decide which ones we can move forward on. And I'd also, just to close this out, if you haven't yet, um, you and then all all the listeners out there, read the uh, Felix Sabatis article that he wrote. Um, now advertisement, I mean, it, well, it, well, well because you, they would have taken it, but just like when they do with all of us, they were going to, yeah. they had to cut it down and he said, I want it in its entirety. So, so he, just he bought, bought a whole page. So he bought a page and so put it's it like in. An, an but I mean, it's sorts. the personal story and perspective. He's a Republican, but he comes from Cuba. He went through the process. He made himself into what he is. And he understands because he's seen firsthand the importance of that process all the way to other things. He hits on that article of the dangers of kind of this this push towards socialism that we see he also points out the danger of uh of dark money and unlimited uh 
campaign funding. So I agree with him on that part. He, he talked about we need campaign finance it's reform. Just, but it's just it's one of many perspectives. And that's a perspective of someone who's experienced it and is influential and made made good in this community. So I and Felix has is an incredible story. Uh, he's done a lot for this community. I, I I think there's a little bit of fear mongering going on. And I don't mean him specifically, but just in general, like the idea that because AOC is a member of Congress and Bernie Sanders is running for president again, that like we're, we're headed towards becoming Cuba. And that's not what Felix said, but I mean, like that's kind of what people are getting at. They're like, Oh, we're going to, we're going to become Cuba. We're going to become, well, I mean, the point, the point of the matter is when you start heading down that path, there's only one, one direction you go. You go from socialism to communism. Now, I'm not saying that happens overnight, but I mean, th- this world, we've only, I mean, this is, we're a blip on the, on the timeline of humanity here in this beautiful, wonderful experiment of the United States. If you think it's going to be like this forever, I think, you know, it's how we decide as leaders today and as voters and members of the community as to what this is going to end up being. This isn't a... This isn't, an, equiv- this isn't an equivalent comparison on the other side of the aisle, but it's the one that comes to mind is uh, there aren't, I, well, I don't hear Democrats trying to say because of one or two Congress people in the Republican party that suddenly that, that poor, that foretells some direction of our country. That's. Oh I mean, dude, let me t- dude. Look, like what, what's happening King, in your Steve party King right now? What's happening in your well, listen, look, look, you, I, we can all find outliers. Yeah. What I'm saying is what's happening in your party right now, I feel very similar to what was happening in our party in I guess it was 2010 to 11 to 12 with the rise of the Tea Party. And then if you look in Congress, there's the Freedom Caucus now, which is a direct correlation to that. So where does the AOC socialist new green deal caucus come from and then how what i mean the but it all there's a lot the, there man but over the history of time those things tend to balance themselves out the are they do the, we have any indication the, that anything's about to get more balanced in the direction we're heading uh, as well, our as as we race maybe, to the fringes maybe not across the aisle but i think the parties balance themselves back out it's not like the tea party wave main like kept up and they took over all the quote-unquote normal and Republican i'm not saying seats. that a lot i mean i i helped out with a lot of the Tea Party stuff, I, I actually liked it a lot. Um, so I don't want to give the impression that I didn't like that. You were but just I don't like when you heard there was a party. You're like, I'm. Down. I was like, Tea? All right. That sounds weird, but no, I, like I mean, parties. A, a lot of us that were part of that were part of it for the principles of, you know, being taxed enough already. So I, I don't think that, I don't think that every Democrat in Congress ten years from now is going to be as liberal as AOC or Bernie Sanders. And but it, that's. I feel like that's the fear mongering that's going on. They're like, "Oh, we're going to be Cuba," and you're like, "No, we're not." Uh, so, I'm neither here nor there. Speaking of Congress, I would be remiss if we didn't have a quick update on the Ninth Congressional District. <laughs> you haven't seen uh, last I, week I tonight not with seen John Oliver yet. John Oliver this week yet. It was sad in a hilarious way as um, I caught up on it last night. So, as you know, certainly everybody's aware that that Mark Harris even admitted there needed to be a new election. There was some question as to whether or not he'd run in the. In the past few days, he has said he will not stand in that uh, new primary that will be held. Dan McCready will, if he even has an opponent in the Democratic primary, How do I feel like I know where you're headed with this update right Um, now? I feel like I know know where where you're headed. headed. So there's been a lot of uh, discussion. (laughs) Pat McCrory has said he will not run in it. Which he had already said, and then he teased that he might. I'm going to start doing so could, big news announcements where so, I'm not. I'm not running for president. Right. Well, Join me tomorrow. He'd morning. already said he didn't want to do it, 
Then he teased that he well, might just so he could say he didn't want to again. I, I, I think a lot of people were pressing him on doing it, as a lot of people are pressing Robert Pittenger right now. Well, and I, I haven't heard any updates. I mean, the last I'd heard, Robert still had indicated he wasn't interested. Yeah. But, um, you know, Dan Barry's name comes up a lot. Matthew Reinauer's name comes up a lot. Kenny Smith. Kenny's so, comes up, though. So you got, I haven't you, heard you, it as much lately. You have lately. the Mecklenburg con, uh, uh, group with his Matthew Reinauer, Kenny Smith, maybe a couple other and names have been floated. Fa- I mean, and then uh, Union County. You know, there are, Dan some, Barry. there are some people that I know and, and certainly disagree with on a multitude of political fronts, but like generally as people, Matthew Reinauer, Dan Barry, I love Kenny all Smith. That asterisk but, you put next to saying you're friends with somebody. But I have not met this gentleman, but am incredibly eager to. There's a gentleman named Stony Rushing. And if, <laughs> anyone, has not, if anyone has not seen this picture of Mr. Rushing, well, and I should say, when Mark Harris declared he was not going to stand in this new primary, Republican primary, he threw his weight. And I'm not sure whether that's an endorsement I'd want or not at this point, but he threw his endorsement behind Mr. Rushing, who I believe is a Union County commissioner. So I looked the fellow up. He's the number one vote getter in Union County. Commission. Yep. Um, don't know what to make of that. Well, but there are lots of pictures of the gentleman dressed as one can only describe as being Boss Hog from Dukes of Hazard. White suit, white bow tie, white shirt. I mean, it's not like one can describe. He's literally dressing up exactly like that. And so I thought the first time someone posted a picture on Facebook of that, I thought, all right, that's a stretch. He's probably dressed up for Halloween. And so, like, they're just messing around. I then did a Google image search for Mr. Rushing. And there are multiple settings on clearly multiple different occasions. Are you sure? Yes. Oh, yes. Like, it's, it's part of his campaign literature. All I know is this. There are two scenarios. I don't I don't really know him. So there's two scenarios. I mean, I'm sure he's either meaning he no thinks, harm. Either he thinks I'm sure he's this just is... a good old boy, meaning no harm. <laughs> but he beats all I ever saw. Stop. He's been in trouble Stop. with the law since See? the day he was born. That's that's terrible. You're supporting that program. He's making now. his way the only gonna, way he knows how, Tark. Protest you. Um uh, either he thinks it's cool, in it's, which case I don't I side don't note, I'm not, it's not in which case I, I'm not gonna like him, or he thinks it's hilarious in which case i love him i my my gut without knowing this guy at all but i don't love him i mean you know i i i tend to put on weird stuff occasionally because i think it's funny um if he if he's doing that in because he thinks it's hilarious he might have just won me over (laughs) you know what i might i might accept someone thinking that if Running, running for congress is not a joke i mean like it's one thing if you're running to be the student council president at your high school and you like want to make your friends laugh. You've, so they'll you've vote been for around you. Congress before, right? It's sh- okay. It shouldn't be a joke. <laughs> I think you were, I think you were thinking of the Senate. <laughs> well, no, in, in all seriousness though, um, you know, I, I, so I would uh, encourage all our listeners to do a Google image search for Stony rushing or wait, union, put union for union County and, uh, and just give or, him a gander or wait until next week. I have we a gut reaction. Absolutely. I have a real gut feeling that, um, Last week tonight with John Oliver is going to do a follow up because that picture wasn't out and and released when that episode was created. There's no chance he doesn't circle back to that. I think I feel very strongly. If we get him on the podcast, we'll have to live stream it so people can see him slide across the hood of his car. Boy, you're really scaring him off right now with all your. I doubt he listens. Them Duke boys. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Making his way. Yeah. Um, Good story. Okay, so that was that's Monday. Gonna be, night. That's going to be a lot of fun, and I and and I can only 
I can only say how excited I am to see your party lining up in a circle for a circular firing squad before they uh, they go well, up look, against Dan look, McCready. It, it, there are several scenarios that could play out from this point forward that will totally ruin us. And there is a few. And that, one is if eight people get in a circle right, and fire. No doubt, no doubt. Um, <laughs> while Dan McCready is raising money but the, with no the, serious The opposition. bottom line that I hope all of, and some of these people are my close friends right running, um, but my hope is that we all realize that this is you know, an R plus 10 district that's ours to lose. The last race shouldn't have been that close. So it, it's it, our actions will determine if we win or lose this thing. And if we lose it, we deserve to because we, we didn't think about this strategically for the people um, who a majority of them are our party and um, deserve representation. Uh, so we'll close out with, where you got your new nickname, Tarek McCarty, mm. which is uh, Commissioner County Commission Chair George Dunlap just gave his state of the county address, uh, talked about their priorities for the upcoming year, uh, very much focused on education, on parks and rec, uh, greenway focus, um, continuing the pre-K program that they've had. So I thought that went well. Um, we were there. Uh, Commissioner Trevor Fuller was there. Um, Huntersville council member, Nick Walsh was there. There was uh, a good crowd. And I think, um, I think commissioner Dunlap did a good job and I think it, it will continue to be important for us to be present. Uh, several people told us they appreciated us being there. I don't think that's something that historically they see a lot of cross. Um, they don't realize you go to everything, everything, man. <laughs> everything. Um, but so that went well and we'll get, uh, we, we need to get Commissioner Fuller on sometime. We've had Commissioner Dunlap on recently. Commissioner Fuller is uh, also a declared candidate for the 2020 U.S. Senate race. Uh, so we need to start getting some of these 2020 candidates on the show because um, those races are in God, full swing. It feels swing. early. We haven't even it, announced it this early. year. It feels early, but the 2020 races are actually more active right now than the 2019 races. Yeah. Uh, but they also have a lot more ground to cover and a lot more money to raise. So uh, I guess that is not surprising. Anything else you got coming up this weekend? Or, yeah, uh, I do. It's my birthday. It is. What do you turn? You turn 38? 39. 39. Last year. When you turn 40, do you get to be like part of the... the I'm, a, I'm a boomer. I become a boomer at that point. Yeah, that's how that works, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so then you won't be one of the... Uh, the Part of the cool kids club anymore. Yep. Um, and I'm headed to Montgomery, Alabama this weekend. Montgomery? With the, Arts and Science Council, we are going down there to the Rosa Parks Museum, the Legacy Museum. Um, going to be visiting a lot of the civil rights sites in Montgomery, and uh, I'm pretty excited. I've never been before. Uh, Mayor Pertham Isel, Councilwoman Mayfield, and I are all going with a group from the Arts and Science Council, um, different education and civic leaders from town, and, and just interested citizens that have signed up to go on this trip. And uh, so I'm looking forward to that. I'm sure I've heard that the Legacy Museum is – one of the most overwhelming experiences that uh, folks who've been there have ever had. And they apparently literally have tissues like every 10 feet, boxes of tissues around this museum because people are so overwhelmed and um, upset by it. But it, uh, these the museums we're visiting really unpack uh, in a very raw way, I'm told, the history of lynchings in the South and um, and some of the real, some of the ugliest parts of the civil rights era. And it's important to to look at those in a very honest way um, and not try to soften them for the sake of our own sensitivities 
but to to really know that history and and to know what happened and each um at the at the museum where they talk a lot of, about the lynchings in the south there is a monument for each county in which a lynching occurred in the south and then they've created a matching monument uh for that the county can claim and bring back to their community to display and give context and tell the story. Uh, many counties have claimed theirs. Mecklenburg has not yet, but we are going to be having that discussion when we're down there and trying to possibly create a partnership between the arts and science council, the city, the county to bring Mecklenburg County's monument, figure out where that could be housed and the context it could be put uh, into to tell that story in a, in an honest, uh, in an honest way. And so, um, you know, I don't know where that would be. I don't know if that'd be out in the public realm or if it'd be in the Levine Museum of the New South or somewhere, but I think it's important that we, uh, that we claim that, that we bring it back. I think this museum has, um, is telling a story that's, that's not been told in this real and raw way. And, uh, it's important for us to, uh, to do our part in that. So I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a whirlwind, uh, 48 hour trip, but, um, looking forward to learning a lot and, and being with a lot of, uh, great folks from our community. So, we will be back Monday. We've got uh, what all do we have Monday? We have a intergovernmental relations committee meeting mm-hmm. on Monday. Strategy sesh. Um, we have a, and then we have a strategy session. So we will be back with you in just about four days. But we hope you have a wonderful weekend. Sorry for the delay in this week's episode, but we hope it was worth the wait. And uh, clearly we'll it talk was. To you next week. Bye bye.